0: Well, hello. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud. This is Gary. Friday, August twenty-first, two thousand twenty. Today's my day off. Uh, i say before I work four tenths, It's the coolest shift I've had for many years. Work just about every shift there is. Split days off, swing shift, graveyard, morning shift, uh, closing shift, you know, opening and closing. You know, I've worked every hour of the day, at least at some point in my life. All kinds of jobs. Actually, that day I was listing all the jobs I've done over the years. It's going to dive right into politics, but I don't know. There's some hope going, but it's good to think about other things. What I'm doing currently now, though, is I'm a landscaper. Help uh, make really fancy people's house, yards look really nice and cool-looking, well-maintained beds and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah. Over the years, I've been a strawberry harvester, babysitter. Mc- worked at McDonald's, jack-in-the-box roofer, camp counselor. Um... Uh, That was five summers all. One year I was even a group leader in charge of counselors. I was in student government in college, which was a paid position. Call center agent in college as well. First job out of college was processing 401k documents for principal financial group. Then I was a stocker at Toys R Us, night shift, graveyard shift. Stuck on all the shelves at Toys R Us during the holiday season while I was studying for the Series 7 during the day. Studying for the Series 7 so I could be a financial advisor with prize down in Vegas, then Thriving Financial Lutherans. Then when I didn't meet my sales quota for, uh, you know, selling financial services, I became an inventory associate. Kind of, uh, you know, career kind of took a turn. After getting my degree and having such hope and optimism. Ooh, I have a degree. I'm going to have a great job. And be able to make my way in the world. And realize pretty quickly that the degree is nice. But, you know, you compete with a bunch of other people with degrees. and, And if you're not really that into wearing a suit every day and all that kind of thing. You know. But, you know... So I was not too, within a few years of graduating from college, I realized that the degree I had was just not something I was really all that interested in, at least not in, the, I guess in the standard certain terms. So after the sort of business went away, then I was inventory associate, then I was a marketing assistant for a beer distribution company in Portland, Oregon, then I was a Worked for Express Pros, and I've worked for them many times over the years doing various temp jobs. Um, Some of the temp gigs I've had, I was an usher at a UFC fight. Uh, I was a banking assistant. A banquet server at the convention center, both in the Portland and Spokane. Uh, Ditch digger, house painter, carpentry assistant. Mover. Um, Those were all the, like, temp jobs I've had. Then for three and a half years, I... worked at Charter Communications as a retention specialist. Uh, Very upset customers would get their, their bill would jump up 20-30 percent because they uh, fell off a promotion or whatever. Call upset wanting to cancel their service. I was the guy they talked to to try to convince them to keep their service and hopefully try to get them to pay more money. That was a good job because it paid a base pay of 12 plus an hour plus commissions. So I actually made my first year making over 40 grand was my uh, one of my years at charter. and That's still, as of today, the best year I've had with a college degree 41 grand in a year. But three and a half years I did that retention specialist, that's a call center. Took about 40 to 50 calls a day. And uh, yeah, those three and a half years it's like uh, five minutes worth of memories. Of the job, anyway. There's good people, but working for corporations sucks. But that wasn't my last time for a corporation. I was also a, a recruiter with ITT Tech before they went bankrupt. I worked for them in Spokane. I was a line cook at a couple different places. And then uh, I was a sales account executive too with Comcast back in Portland. That was an inbound call center. And people called the 'Cause they see some cool ad or something and just like that, you know, they they saw the ad and like, hey, I wanna get service. And that was the guy they talked to. Try so to upgrade him into the triple play and all that shit. And then for a year I grew cannabis at a licensed uh, cannabis grow in Washington State. That was a good job. I really loved the work. Although the one uh the one I worked at we uh um you know it is a business and, so, and although we grew fine product and such it's a very competitive market you know, so sometimes we were only able to sell our product the cannabis plant for you know less than two dollars a gram because it is a plant so it's very relatively inexpensive to grow so once you have it legalized cannabis that is um the cost the price does go down because it's just not It doesn't cost anywhere near, you know, $10 a gram to uh, produce it. But it was a good gig, although it just never panned out financially. And then uh, after that cannabis gig fell out, then I was a line cook for a while again. Line cook dishwasher, then I did housekeeping at a bed and breakfast. And uh, another hotel prior to that too. And then a product technician at Aaron's. Basically, the guy that delivers your furniture to you if you buy some from errands. Did that in Mount Vernon, Washington for a while. till the fucking corona hit. And then I, uh, moved back in with my ex-girlfriend and, uh, mother of my daughter. So, you know. Crazy times. But now... I work at Green Man Landscaping in the part of Washington where I live. (laughs) And, uh, it's a good gig. I love working 410s. Finally have a good shift after uh, graduating college 15 years ago. Finally have a shift that I like. The, the sort of, the holy grail of shifts. 410s, you know. I was always envious of the people that could Never had that option, just four tens, you work the same amount of hours, you just do it in four days instead of five, you know, it makes, because once you get into a flow of it, the ten hour days basically feels the same as an eight hour day, really, especially once you take good care of yourself and stuff, but then you get three, a three day weekend every single week, it's awesome, you know, I don't understand why more corporations don't do it that way, why is not Who came up with this 9 to 5 thing, you know? I work 8 to 6, Monday through Thursday, and then I get a three-day weekend every week. I mean, yeah, you know. We work hard, though. I mean, the days are tough, but uh, it's a good gig. Good people. Yeah. So I've been doing that for... Shit. I have no idea. Three months? formats. It's a good sign with a gig if uh can't really remember how long it's been. It means I'm getting into a good flow. So, rainy season's coming up, but i uh, got some rain gear and all that, so. But anyway, I guess that's all. All that is just the preface. You got a more round-out idea of, if you're listening to this, the voice that's who I am, you know, like where I'm from, just a regular working class dude, you know. Was born on, on a navy base. It's actually the final command post of uh, John McCain. Although my parents never knew him, they they did did see him often because they was there. He was their senior commanding officer because they were enlisted at that base at the time. Um born there, but you know, kind of early years were in a trailer park and then base housing. When I was like ten my parents bought a bought land and then had a house built on it and moved into it when I was like eleven or so. You know, and then but you know, parents are divorced. So I grew up mostly with my mom and stepdad. But you know, just regular dude, not uh you know, certainly not, not from wealth or anything like that. But, uh, that's sort of the experience of what it means to be an American, how it's so different for so many different, everyone's experience is different, and then how, you know, a lot of times in the news and the political parties and stuff, they try to define what the existence is like, and a lot of times their definition is so counter to what the reality is, you know. My experience is that living in America has been, uh... Been a lot of hope and stuff, sure, there's been a lot of inspiration, there's been a lot of inspiring people to look up to, it's also been a grind, it's, uh, it's tough to make it in this country and there's a lot of people that slip through the cracks, uh, there's a lot of people that get left behind, um, there's a lot of big massive entities that have huge vast control and, and can just gobble up massive amounts of resources and then there's just not much left for the masses. It's tough to make it, and uh, there's a lot of preaching on the TV to us that like, oh, you, know, you just have to work hard and stuff. And it's like, well, it's a little bit more than that. You know, there's there's systematic pressure putting down on you. And I'm a white guy. I think, I think that's where, like, some white people get accept- get offended when they hear the term white privilege. The reason is, I think, is because their lives suck. In many cases, they're not that great. So the idea of them being being privileged is, is crazy to them. Not understanding, of course, that as shitty as your life may be is like a poor white person. If you're a poor minority, there's extra, even, even more burden put on you. Even more stress and tension put on you on a day-to-day basis. If just simply because of what you look like. And so, you know, I've seen that throughout my days too. The things that, you know, your fellow workers have to go through. What people have to just do to try to survive in this country. It's it's tough for a lot of people. There's, you know, there's the, the few small groups of people that just hoard money. You know, massive, massive, massive amounts of money. You know, you, you take a small sliver of it and you could build a school with it and a hospital and, you know, a wide variety of other public services, you know, in many different places. And you would just be taking a small portion of one person's estate, which would have virtually zero effect on their way of life. I mean, that's how much money is concentrated at the top. You know, it's massive, massive amounts. Um, you know, if I... If I all the work I've done, if there's just better distribution of wealth, I mean, it's just more efficient use of resources, better planning of communities and stuff. I think it's, uh, just make things run a lot smoother. So I guess all my background and stuff kind of leads me to what I was going to mainly talk about today, the upcoming... Choice in a few months here, because basically, uh, although there are more than just two people running for president of the United States, we're presented with two, and so those are the two options I'm going to kind of focus on. Even though there are others, uh, we're really just presented two, and even though many of the other options that are running are fairly similar, and at least in policy, to like the sort of overarching policy goals of, of the two main options. Um, they're, they're just not as well funded, and therefore they just don't get as much exposure on the, on the TV, on the media and stuff. But the two main options, 2020, still are Republican or Democrat. And just to review, the Republican Party is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy that, that, that's what that organization is um, they through various marketing and rhetoric and um, you know media outlets and stuff they they present themselves as something that's beyond just that <coughs> <coughs> The Republican Party presents itself as the organization of uh, you know, Christian values, family values, um, individual freedom, small government, balanced budget, um, and you know gun rights and things like that. Uh, none of those things are their primary objective. Uh, those things are just things to say to regular people, non-wealthy people, to try and convince those people to vote Republican, which is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy. Um, So it's a lot of clever language and clever marketing techniques used by various Republican um, members, representatives, senators and such to try and sway people to to vote for their organization. because the, the wealthy only comprise about 2% of, of the population, roughly. You know, about 2 to 3% of the population controls vast portions of the economy. And that is the portion of the population that the Republican Party caters to, uh, is most focused on protecting the interests of, and is really the, the only group that they really are, like, actually listening to. Now, uh, they will kind of... Collect data on the regular people that are susceptible to their message, um, but they won't really be like listening to them, you know. So, like when you know, working-class people and rural communities are voicing their concerns, the Republican Party will not necessarily act on those concerns. They'll they'll hear them and and use those concerns as a as a way. manipulate those people they'll they'll sort of address those concerns directly at least in rhetoric to convince those people to go along with them so that the republicans can stay in power and then cut taxes for the wealthy and cut taxes for corporations um you know so whatever the republican you know whatever those working class conservatives concerns are the democrats are going to take all our guns the republican you know candidates will lean into that if you if you're genuinely fearful that you think you genuinely think democrats are going to come and take your guns away and and there are many many people across this land that genuinely for real actually think that it's not a you know it's not an objective of that organization and the other thing to consider with the democratic party is that it is vast it's all kinds of people so there's a wide range of views on whether it's gun ownership and such like that or or tax policy and you know social issues and because it's it's basically everybody it's not just wealthy white people it's all kinds of people so there's a wide array of, of views as far as the organizational view on guns um, the Democratic Party is not proactively seeking to repeal the Second Amendment. So, but th- despite that, there are still many, many people across this country that genuinely believe, because they've been told, that the Democrats are going to take their guns away, even though that would be unconstitutional. You, you, you know, it, it's the Second Amendment, there's been a lot of amendments since then. You know, it's been a part of our country since the beginning. I don't even like guns, and I would not support repealing the Second Amendment. You know, I'm a bleeding-heart liberal, quote-unquote, and I would be appalled by the, you know, a a representative trying to, you know, propose repealing the Second Amendment at an, you know, an actual Senate hearing or something. You know, that's just, that's, no. Government doesn't get to dictate to you how you live your life. So, you know, again, although I don't like guns and have no desire to own one, I would be vehemently opposed to repealing the Second Amendment. And I'm a Democrat or whatever. I'd lean left. So, but the, so the reality is, is so that people's unfounded fears, fears of that because you know they have this fear because they've been manipulated by various propaganda machines, Republican takes advantages of that. You know, if you're a low-information voter, Republican Party is going to take advantage of that. You know, they're going to use that against you. If you're only getting your news on Fox News, well, then you're going to believe whatever Fox News is telling you. And they're going to tell you all kinds of stuff in order to make you emphatically... um, supportive of the Republican Party and to believe that that organization is protecting your interests when they are not and they have no intention of doing so. Uh, That organization is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy. In in its modern form, one of the things modern Republicans will do is they'll start referencing Abraham Lincoln or or Teddy Roosevelt or something and it's like, nope. Yeah, that it has the same name, but we're talking about now. What is the modern Republican Party? What is that organization? What is by and large? <coughs> what is the actual legislative output of the members of that organization? The members, in other words, when the you know, those very specific representatives, you know, people like Donald Trump, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Devin Nunes, Jim Jordan those kind of names and the list goes on what by and large are their primary first and foremost objectives legislatively not rhetoric not rhetoric not going on the TV and doing interviews no in the actual chambers of Congress and you know the the Senate the House of Representatives what are they actually doing what laws are they actually making The answer is tax cuts for the wealthy and tax cuts for corporations. And then cutting funding to, because now there's a budget deficit, cutting funding to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, public education, and infrastructure. What are the benefits to working class people by doing those things? Nothing yeah the re- the working class people lose, yeah, but that is what the Republican Party does, but again they are they are highly intelligent people in there too. They know what they're doing, and they have you know a lot of terms and stuff, but you know they they've received a lot of money, many of them massive massive amounts of money from particular sources who have directed them to vote in certain ways. And so that, that's what they have done. They know what they're doing is wrong. You know, they understand that. So they received a fee, you know, they, they were paid a bribe so that they would feel more comfortable doing the thing that is morally and ethically wrong. Okay. And that's that's what it is. Um, there's some of them where you see sort of glimmers of something like humanity or something like more uh, Marco Rubio is the, the one I always think of he's He's lockstep with that organization, but for, for whatever reason there's times when it seems like it's just like he's he's not doing as good at hiding the obvious and clear internal objections he has to what the things he's saying and doing, you know it's like, you can almost see it in his body language, that he knows that you know what he's supporting or what he's saying here is wrong but it, he, and he's grappling with it or something kind of like Bill Barr when he was asked by Kamala Harris at his confirmation hearing or whatever it was he was grappling with the word suggest. Hinted? Inferred? <laughs> hmm. I think, uh... The, the more I think about... I mean... I wasn't super gung-ho on Kamala Harris when she was running for president, but... I mean, I, I would take her over Joe Biden. I was definitely more excited for her, but... That's just, uh... She is... I think she's gonna... Wipe the floor with Mike Pence when they have a VP candidate debate I mean, uh, I think the only thing I would be concerned with her is overconfidence, and I'm not even that worried that she'd be overconfident, but it's like it's like almost a done deal that everyone expects her to just kick his ass in a debate, because it's just he is not on the same you you know I almost feel sorry for the dude it's funny seeing a very powerful, wealthy white men get all squeamish and squirrely, being asked straightforward, blunt questions by a strong, powerful black woman who's now hopefully in uh gonna become the vice president here pretty soon. It's just reassuring to have a just a young in prime of their career focused Alpha, intelligent, energetic, focused, you know, just driven person that's in the VP chair, especially considering Joe Biden. He is past his prime, but he's getting this final little capstone on a long career. He is a good dude. Um, I just think he's, you know, he's past his prime, but it's just reassuring knowing that a We've we got the person right in the wings is, is ready to go. You know, you, you don't have to, you know, we don't really have to get all squirrely about it. If people have a weirdness about Joe Biden being old or something, don't worry about it. His VP is in the prime of their career. They're they're ready to go. You know, if something happens to him, heaven forbid, she can step right in there. Yeah, we, we could have a black woman as president in the United States of America. It's pretty awesome. We've come a long way. We have got a long ways to go, but it's just uh, inspiring. You know, we took a step back in 2016, with something so inspiring about Barack Obama's story, and it was like, it was like it was so inspiring that it like it, it, it jarred a lot of people, or something. It's like it scared them. You know. Yes, it. That idea of perseverance and overcoming obstacles and stuff that these themes that we've been you know, hearing throughout our lives, it's like it's real, He's like he was, he was like a real life you know, whatever, like the rags to riches thrown into you know, we use the term like broken home but it's like, you know, his parents weren't together, he, he had a he had a, for lack of a better term, he had a weird name, Barack Hussein Obama, so he went by Barry when he was younger, because you know, this is America. And there's a lot of racist, judgmental people. You have a name like Barack. And your mom's a hippie white lady. And your dad's uh, from Kenya. And you live in Hawaii. Uh, I, I think probably living in Hawaii was probably... I don't know. I, I bet that was probably a little bit better him than other parts of the country. I think if he was living in, uh, you know... Arkansas, or something, probably would have been a little rougher. But uh, I think something about the island vibe probably did well, but I'm sure it's still pretty awkward. And then he probably had a fair amount of shit to deal with uh, living in New York, going to Columbia University. Um, You know, but he was born to. It wasn't anything resembling affluence. He had an unusual name. Um. At least in America. It's not, not that unusual in other parts of the world. But um, at least what we consider different or whatever. But he just worked continuously. He, he was goal-oriented and driven. And uh, nothing was just handed to him. He, he, he didn't just get to go to Harvard because you know his daddy gave a bunch of money to the school or something. He got into Harvard because he studied hard. And he worked hard. And he got into Harvard. Even though he was from humble means and not the sort of classic, um, you know, two and a half kid in house in the garage, perfect little family thing, you know, his parents were separated and his mom was kind of a free spirit or whatever, and so wasn't always around, was raised by his grandparents at times and stuff, and there's just something about that, and even with all the obstacles he had to overcome, he actually became state senator at a young age, even after losing initially. And then, you know, just getting... And then this... Yeah. It was just inspiring. But but I think because of all that there was so much hope and there was so much... I think a lot of people forgot that there are three branches of government, and the President of the United States is only one guy. You know, so he can kind of so we did we did progress forward we did move forward as a country we did elevate ourselves a little bit under the obama tenure but i think it just it didn't happen fast enough or something for some people we didn't move forward quickly enough which you know it is more because there is such entrenched like negativity and greed and just sort of really this kind of blatant corruption on some of the uh, representative sides of government, legislative, you know, namely the Republican Party, you know, Barack Obama had a big, uh, ambitious goal to, uh, <coughs> um, you know, universal health care. Republicans were against that; they didn't want universal health care. Why? Well, because then what? Is, what's going to happen to the health insurance companies? You know, how are those health insurance companies gonna to continue to pay their CEO twenty-five million dollars a year if, you know, health care is free and it's just a right as a citizen. How how is that CEO of the health insurance company gonna survive? You know, if you don't have to pay out money every time you need health care. Goodness gracious. But that's really what the Republican Party was concerned with. Uh, They were concerned with, you know, the salaries of the execs of health insurance companies. The stock price of health insurance companies. What are we going to do if health insurance companies in their current form are no longer viable or necessary or really have any real purpose whatsoever? Well, those, those companies would have to change. You know, they would have to modify, adapt. You know, they're huge organizations with massive capitalization. You know, they have massive amounts of money. You know, they can go in a different direction. They can still there. You can there's all plenty of things to ensure. So, um, but. You know that that's where the Republicans were. So they they were kind of fighting it tooth and nail from the get go, and that's why in the end, what we got was better than nothing, but obviously wasn't ideal. Um, But no matter how well Barack Obama laid that out during that time too, saying you know this is not perfect this is the foot in the door it's more like a toenail in the door it's just the beginnings of the beginnings of the beginnings it's just you know the most basic of foundation some sort of basic kind of you know basic right to healthcare as a right you have the right to get healed at a place that does that and and people the people that work in hospitals Many of them decided very young that that's what they wanted to do with their lives, and they're very devoted to doing that. Uh, Yes, they should get paid a, a reasonable living, you know, more than just the living wage, and, you know, obviously the higher the expertise, the more training you have to do, the more difficult and strenuous the type of medical service you provide, well, then that should increase accordingly the the pay and all that, but most of them don't do it because of the pay they do it because they 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 want to provide care to people so yeah you if you if you're a hot surgeon making say four hundred thousand dollars a year i am I'm sure four hundred thousand even say two hundred and fifty three hundred thousand a year I'm sure that's plenty to attract. You know, quote unquote, quality talent, especially if there's certain like, you know, time off type stuff and all that kind of thing, and and whatever. And um, if the, especially also if education is free too, people that want to pursue a particular career, what they got to do is they just got to study that career, learn the trade, and then just go do it. <laughs> for me uh the reason I tend to vote Democrat usually is because uh well, the Republican party's organization that present you know, protects the interests of the wealthy, so they're just not the organization that represents my interests at all uh and there's just not really other options that are truly legitimate like green Party over the years at times but um really the main reason is because a lot of the people in the democrat party not universally or anything all the way, but their focuses are, you know, universal health care, free education, uh, safe and efficient infrastructure and energy, uh, you know, a, a understanding of and action toward uh, the effects of human activity on climate change. A, a more sort of big picture type thing, you know, uh, looking at try, trying to find new and innovative ways to truly gauge how the economy is doing. You know, I think one of the things that we need to do, find a way to do as a society to progress forward is to find a different way, a, a more effective way to understand the economy and how it's doing now it's who's benefiting besides GDP you know gross domestic product, the gross domestic product went up two point seven percent over the last quarter. What does that mean for the average American it It means nothing that, that that's the answer It doesn't mean anything now if you own shares of stock, individual shares of stock, possibly even mutual funds in the particular sectors of the economy that grew, then you, you may have an increased value of your shares. However, if you don't own any shares, it doesn't really mean anything. And, and know that money's not going to trickle back down to you. It doesn't work like that. Um, I would like the idea of you know, our society investing in us, you know, the people um just working towards a more balanced sustainable society. I mean the the way that our country is still doing things and continues to do it's just it, it, it can't it's not that it's not just that we shouldn't it's just it can't go on like that forever. Um you know, I mean like the clear-cutting force and stuff to put up new development and stuff and just the deforestation and pollution um, the releasing of fossil fuels and it's, it's a, we, we cannot keep doing that there's going to be a, a turning point here where it's just so I, I do like that the Democrats are at least by and large addressing those things because those things are real they're not, they shouldn't really be political you know, climate change is not a political issue, I mean it shouldn't be like whether or not it is you know it, it is, you know, there is cause and effect, you know but I think it's what I think is it's like humans live on earth we live on earth everything we've ever known and seen and been and touched and felt and everything our entire history is all in this one place earth so the idea that i think it's just it's too much for some people to understand that we could be doing things to this big place this one-of-a-kind place that's in the middle of a vast vast universe that we could be doing things on a daily basis worldwide that are causing damage that to, what, to this one-of-a-kind place that we are killing it in effect, you know or at a, at a minimum doing things to this that are affecting it in a way to make it so that life is far more difficult. you know I, I think it's just too difficult for some people to understand. This planet is everything. It's basically saying that human beings are destroying everything. You know. But we're not literally destroying everything. But we are destroying everything that we have known. You know, our entire existence as a species has all been here, as far as we know, you know, whatever on planet Earth, except for the, you know, basically a handful of people who have gotten to float around in space for a while or, you know, touch foot on the moon. Um, every single human being has all been here on Earth. So it's kind of a I think the understanding of the climate change for a lot of people, it's just, it's a, it's an existential thing that is just beyond their ability to even try to understand it, but then I think that we have to get there at some point, you have to start treating this place better, you know, it is special, it's here for a reason, it's such an interesting place. Planet, like you know, it's just the perfect distance away from the sun, the way it rotates the orbit and stuff. And any other planet in our solar system, it's not even close to being. I mean, they're looking at Mars, and oh, there might be water on Mars. I mean, you've seen the pictures of it, you've seen Matt Damon's The Martian, and all that. It's like, am not gonna have seven billion American, you know, humans living on Mars. Gonna colonize fucking Mars. Why the fuck would you want to do that? Got to get to the places that are like light years away. Go travel to a distant star that that's its own sun that has its own different set of planets orbiting around it. But it's so far away that we have no way of knowing if there's truly civilization or whatever, intelligent beings. But chances are pretty likely we're just the one planet in this solar system that supports life and it supports an abundance of life all kinds of life that live on this planet we aren't the only species on this planet but sometimes I think we like to think we are the all important all knowing humans you know we, we know everything we know what's best yeah, we know everything but we barely even know our own history let alone the history of things that preceded us. We're, you know, there's a lot of people that are still in debate on that. Even when the uh, physical evidence, you you're staring at it and you can pick it up and hold it, people are like, "No, oh, no." So I do a lot of sidebars. I'm gonna do another one here. The evolution creation debate. I never understood why. They're mutually. They have to be mutually exclusive. I. I don't get it. Like, why do you have to believe one or the other? It just doesn't make sense. If you read the Bible and you go believe in the creation story, then believe in the creation story. It's Fine and dandy. Evolution is just explaining what our world is. You know, it's also called natural selection. It's just. It, natural selection selection just it is. The way I would say it is like in the Bible it doesn't describe the cardiovascular system of the human body. It doesn't describe in detail how the cardiovascular system works. That doesn't mean the cardiovascular system is fake or not real or something or or, or describing it goes against God or something. It, it just is explaining the specifics. Evolution is just explaining the specifics. But I also think that there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that was never meant to be taken literally. You know, like, dot the I's, cross the T. It was literally seven days. But uh, in Hinduism, they have these terms to sort of describe vast stretches of time. I think it's like Venga or something like that. Vega or Venga. I forget. But they're massive stretches of time. And I think think more like that, and it says, like, on the first day, oh no, forgive me, I'm not gonna remember the, but eat what he created each day. But think of each day as like massive stretches of time in human time. On the seventh day, he rested, you know, now, uh, or, you know, like he's sleeping or something. It's kind of how I always took it. Like, the first six days was the creating of the universe, and the, you know, and then, the, like, the beginnings of life on Earth, and then volcanoes, and explosions, and then, you know, by day two, it was, like, the beginnings of, you know, the various beasts and stuff, and it was whatever day it was that, you know, humans appeared a few a few days later, quote-unquote, but, you know, it's billions of years in human time, and after all that, you uh, rest it. So it's day seven in, you know, God years, whatever. It's been tens of thousands of years in human time. But but that's always how I interpreted it as a kid, but I just never knew how to put it into words until um, I got older and stuff. And I think it's one of the reasons why I always just kind of struggled to buy into every single word that was being preached. And to believe that it, everything in there was literally the word of God. It's just... You know, I think it... There are words that are inspired by... You know... Or, or whatever... It's like... But... I don't like getting into... Anything remotely resembling... Blasphemy or something... Even though I'm not Catholic... I was a... Uh, raised Methodist... I don't really like stepping on people's toes... But... I also... like to feel confident in just... Saying what I believe... You know... I believe... Jesus is a good solid path to follow but also understanding that understanding his path how how it began and how it ended we don't know a whole massive amount about the middle but you can kind of infer things you know you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit I don't think I don't think it was ever meant to be taken exactly literally. But, uh, you know, he he was a person that was, he was a a real human being. who was, you know, giving speeches and stuff, performing miracles, helping people, um, preaching. And uh, he he was executed by the government for it. You know, so, uh, that's, that's always the thing I kind of, you know, that that's why, you know, accepting him as your savior, as they do in church and stuff is um, quite a bold statement. But it can it can be kind of uh, watered down and muddled down when uh, religion gets so sort of almost like corporatized and stuff, and you get these almost like franchises. It's a little weird because it's it's faith and spirit and kind of it's more like the the flowing of a river and the the breezing of an air through a mountain valley or something. You know, like I, or I mean. It can't be perfectly regimented and defined. At least it, it can never be for me. However, I did find that those, some, so, at least some of those institutions, especially when I was a kid, Methodist Church, was a good foundation to kind of make that connection and then to kind of go from there and to have the confidence to do that. Um, you know. But that's the thing. You know, I, I, I sort of bought into the kind of core principles of Jesus. So there's, you know, uh, feed the hungry, clothe the unclothed, cure the sick. Um, I think there's also certainly things about the kind of hint at uh, providing education and such. So why do I tend to vote Democrat? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because I believe in the teachings of Jesus. So, yeah. Somehow, though, and that's this is one of the strange things about the Republican-Democrat thing. Many people believe, many people who are, you know, profess to be very devout Christians go to church every Sunday, read the Bible, cover to cover, often. Support the Republican Party because they believe the Republican Party is the sort of party of Christian values. Now, again, that pri- that organization's primary objective is cutting taxes for the wealthy, cutting taxes for corporations, which benefits wealthy, the people with the most money. You know. And then they cut programs that help feed people, help provide health care to people, and help people keep people safe. They cut funding to those. They would prefer those things to be covered by for-profit entities. They don't want healthcare to be a right. They don't want it to be where if you get sick or hurt, you just go to the hospital, get healed, and then go on your way. They do not want that. They want you to have to pay out money. How much is your life worth? How much money do you have? Okay, So that's kind of what the Republican Party's ethos is. You are worth more as a person if you have more money. Your life has less value if you're not earning or have a lot of money. Your opinion matters less. okay? And they're going to do things that are going to benefit the people that have the most, even if it means they have to take away the little that you have. It's not Christian values. It, it's not even kinda. It's not even close. It's not even in the ballpark. It's amazing that the Republicans have been able to manipulate so many Christians that way. And of course, the reason is abortion. Yeah. Le- whatever. I think it's Leviticus that makes some sort of passing reference to it, and the Old Testament, the Old Testament, also known as the Torah. Jesus was Jewish, um, so that's why um, the Bible has the Torah in it, which is the uh, Jewish holy book, because Jesus was Jewish. And so in that it has a there's a lot of different things in there. There's very specific things about what your diet should be. You know, there's very, you know, detailed descriptions of the beginning of man and, you know, the various lineage of families and stuff and breakdowns of all kinds of very specific uh ways to be and how, how to do things and among them it, there's you know reference to what we call abortion however there is also portions of the uh, old testament that make reference to um very specific cases when it would be advisable to do so and not some sort of uh, horrendous act or something and whatever, people can believe it or not believe it or whatever, but you, know, you can check it out yourself. But all that kind of stuff that's making reference to abortion it was pretty much primarily in the Old Testament. And uh, most Christians are Christians because of the teachings of Jesus, which is in the New Testament. His teachings, if you read the Gospel, doesn't really mention a whole lot about abortion. It's not really his core message. That's not really, you know, if he was a politician, that wouldn't be his, like, main platform you know, and, uh, you know, if you're going to give the Cliff Notes version of what are the teachings of Jesus, you're not going to be talking about abortion. It, it's just not, that, that, that's not really his core message. That, that's not really his main overarching theme. However, um, many people vote based purely and solely on that. They've sort of simplified the teaching of Jesus to basically, what is your position on abortion? and that, and that's it with with no understanding of or willingness to understand different perspectives on it it's it's black and white the crazy thing is because of their hardline position on that they're unwill they they just are more than willing to overlook blatant kind of in your face sort of non-christian behavior like Specifically, demonstrated by Trump, you know, um, people are in the streets, voicing their opinion, gathered together in fellowship. Yeah. What does Trump do? He sends unmarked federal agents to fire rubber bullets and tear gas at them. Okay, that is not Christian behavior it's it's not even kinda Um, earlier kind of a similar situation people are gathered together in fellowship voicing their concerns about the way that government is treating them donald trump orders his agents to fire rubber bullets on them some of those people are injured And he walks a few blocks in front of a church and holds up a Bible. Um, Again, not Christian behavior. Kind of, and it's so blatant. It's so in your face that there's not really any excuse for it. It, Obviously, that's not Christian behavior. It's not even close. It's not even in the realm. What he's doing, it's, it's more, he's, that was like a leaning into it. You know, he's been what he's been throughout the entirety of my life, and even before I was born. It, it, it was all, it was the worst kept secret in pop culture. Donald Trump is, is sort of a dark presence in our society. He's very famous, has a lot of wealth, has a lot of fame, but he is not a good person. He's not someone you should emulate, he's not someone you should follow. He's a cruel, disturbed person who needs help. He needs Jesus. He he needs to ask forgiveness for his actions. What did he say once? He doesn't believe in forgiveness. Yeah, I, I mean, he doesn't believe he has anything to be forgiven for. Like, Wow, that's pretty amazing. All those things he's done, you know, all those people that he's hurt intentionally, willfully all the laws that he's sort of skirted around the entirety of his career all of his embracing of seven deadly sins and such nothing to be forgiven for not a single thing throughout the entirety of his life and he's also going to claim to be a Christian hmm now I know I'm casting stones at the man, but I think it's also because he was the person when I was a kid, when you're you're trying to understand the world and you're hearing about these sort of, the the, the sort of more villainous characters, and uh, especially like the Old Testament stuff like Goliath and whatnot, it's sometimes hard to understand those, And and even Jesus himself at times, because you don't have video of them or audio, you can't see them, or something. But for me, it was always, when you think of Goliath, I think like Trump, you see this sort of ruthless, kind of ogre type, hulking, buffoon, cruel person that, that just only wants fame and money and power, and doesn't really care how he gets it or who he has to hurt to get to it. And that's what I understood about him as a pretty young age, that's why it's been so confusing as to why so many people support him, especially so many people that claim to be Christian. It's very confusing, you know. When atheists have a, you know, a stronger, sort of moral and ethical uh, understanding of right and wrong and stuff, then you know you're quote unquote evangelical Christian it certainly confuses things makes things sort of hmm you know but it's I mean there's there's right and wrong you know that was kind of the whole point in going to church you're supposed to learn the difference between right and wrong Donald Trump is wrong he needs help he needs to ask forgiveness for his actions how he's treated people he needs to resign from the presidency or at least take himself out of the 2020 race and face the consequences for his decades of wrong actions, you know. And so the people of the United States of America need to do the right thing in 2020 and not vote Trump. Hopefully a good portion of the people that do not vote Trump go Biden. If they go someone else, that's fine. Who cares? Hopefully Biden's president and Kamala VP, but no one vote Trump in 2020. Just don't do it, okay? It's wrong, and we all knew it and know it. This is Gary. Listen to Thinking Out Loud.